This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Donald Trump is going to turn out to be the best thing that could have happened to the Republican Party nomination process for president in 2016. Thanks for joining me today. We're going to start with some presidential politics. I've said from time to time we're going to delve into this issue as the process plays itself out. A long way to go. You've heard me say that uh, it's early. If you have a particular candidate, that's fine. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But I'm advising people who do not have not settled on a candidate to keep your powder dry. It's a long process. This thing will ebb and flow. There'll be people rising to the top and then falling off, drifting away. It's a very fluid state right now. And in the end, I don't want people to become so invested in a particular candidate that uh, if they don't get in, they become disillusioned and uh, become one of those four or five million registered Republicans throughout the United States who did not vote in the 2012 election. They are not the type, and I give them credit, they're not going to hold their nose and vote for a candidate. They're just not that way. They're not going to compromise their strong, principled stance We are going to have to, and I say we, I'm talking conservatives, not Republicans. I don't belong to a political party. I never will. I'm a conservative. I know what that means. I can identify it. And at one point in our history, it was a long time ago, it probably goes back to the time that John F. Kennedy was the president. Conservatism was really not the sole province of any political party. John F. Kennedy probably couldn't run as a Democrat today. He'd be ostracized by the party for being too conservative. But getting back to some new people who've jumped in since we've talked, since I've talked about this, Rick Perry's in, Chris Christie's in. But nothing sucked the air out of the room as when Donald Trump announced that he was a candidate for the Republican nomination for President of the United States in 2016. Here's why I think, here's some of my thoughts, but here's why I think this is the best thing that could happen to the Republican Party. First of all, Donald Trump is a long shot. I know that he probably knows it. I mean, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe you can do it when you get into these things. But, uh, you know, I'm going to be straightforward as I always say. He's a long shot. But Donald Trump is going to keep these people honest. All we're getting right now from these candidates are scripted, rehearsed, stiff, afraid-to-step-in-it candidates, or an approach anyway, And so we're really not finding out. It's very hard for people to really determine who these people are. We think we know who they are, but we don't. I know Rick Perry's a former governor of Texas. I like Rick Perry. I don't know Rick Perry. 
I know that Marco Rubio is a U.S. senator from the state of Florida. I don't have a problem with Marco Rubio, but I don't know him. I've met some of these people. I've met Carly Fiorina. I sat on a panel with her at a CPAC conference this past uh, February. Got to talk to her a little bit, spent some time with her, but that doesn't mean I really know her, met some of her family. I've met Dr. Ben Carson. I've read his story. It's a fascinating story. Coming from the slums, the ghettos of Detroit. Becoming a world-renowned neurosurgeon. But I don't know Dr. Ben Carson. And I could go on through the list. The only one I know is Scott Walker. How do I know Scott Walker? He was the county executive And he came in at the same time when I was elected sheriff of Milwaukee County. So we worked together in county government. I know Governor Walker. I know his family. I know what he's like. Him I know because I have a relationship with him. But the rest of them I don't know. And so we're not really going to find out who these people are. if We allow them to stick to a script because they're all saying seal the border when it comes to immigration. We have to lock down the border. People have been saying that since 1986, yet the border is not sealed. So, you know, those become platitudes. They all know this is a strong principle stance uh, for, for a conservative votes. We have to seal the border. Well, how are you going to get that done? Are you going to build a wall? Are you going to build a fence? Are you going to use technology? It's just a platitude. We need to seal the border. We all know that. But one of the things that is bothering me about the attacks that Donald Trump is facing right now is it's coming from his own side. These people are acting like elitists, this political class that I talk about. Marco Rubio attacked him as being inaccurate and offensive and dangerous and divisive. Sounds like Barack Obama. Other people have chimed in because the liberal media has made them. You either disown this guy and blast, condemn what he said, or we're going to tie you to it. And like scared cats, they do it. The Democrats don't do that. When Bernie Sanders announced that he was a candidate for the Democratic nomination, or Democrat nomination, I should say, for President of the United States, I didn't see the Democrat Party come out and denounce him and, 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 and attack him and say you're going to mess things up. Here's a guy who had rape fantasies. I didn't see the liberal media run to Mrs. Bill Clinton and say, we want you to comment on Bernie Sanders' rape fantasy and we want you to condemn it or we're going to tie it around your neck. They haven't done that. But the Republicans have a tendency to eat their own, and even people outside the party. I was disappointed what Charles Krauthammer had to say. I like Charles Krauthammer. Brilliant man, brilliant mind. But he's acting like a political elitist saying Donald Trump doesn't belong in the race. When I heard that, I went back to my Constitution. And here's what it says. As it relates to running for President of the United States, Article 2 
Section 1, it says, No person except a natural-born citizen or a citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of this Constitution shall be eligible to the office of president. Neither shall any person be eligible to that office who has not yet have attained the age of 35 years and have been 14 years a resident within the United States. The last time I looked at Donald Trump's resume, his bio, he meets all those qualifications. So where do these people, including on the conservative side, get off saying he doesn't belong in this race, he's going to hurt? Anybody can run for president. They fear Donald Trump. I know why they fear Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a different kind of cat. He doesn't march to the tune of the D.C. bubble, the Washington elite. He's an outsider. He's much like Carly Fiorina and Dr. Ben Carson. Outsiders, outside the political class. But there's a difference in why those two get a pass. And I'm going to get into that next. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. And they said the men holding the signs reading stuff like Judaism prohibits homosexuality had a logo of the Jewish Political Action Committee said the problem was the guys were obviously Hispanic and they're very confused. So they did some investigating and it turns out the guys holding the signs were paid Mexican day laborers to protest. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. We're talking presidential politics and the big splash that Donald Trump made jumping into the pool. I'm glad he did. And I was talking about why Dr. Ben Carson and Carly Fiorina get it passed being political outsiders and Donald Trump doesn't. Donald Trump plays by his own rules. He plays smash-mouth politics. He has an in-your-face style. And that rubs elites the wrong way. Elites meaning the middle of the, the media, the political class, college and university professors. Those are part of the elites. Elitists, I should say. They're not elite. So if you don't subscribe and, and, and play to a particular model of politics, they don't like you. But see, the difference with Dr. Ben Carson and Carly Fiorina for the Republican nomination, and I'm talking about within Republican circles. Forget about the left for a while. Forget about the, uh, the Democrats. But I'm talking about how the Republican field and the Republican Party is, is treating Donald Trump. See, with Carly Fiorina and Dr. Ben Carson, the reason they get a pass is because it's convenient for the GOP. It adds diversity. 
obviously with Dr. Ben Carson being black and with Carly Fiorina being a woman, they can show themselves to be this diverse, to have this diverse field of candidates. So it's convenient for them to seem inviting to Dr. Ben Carson and Carly Fiorina, but truth be told, they're an annoyance too, but you know, it's convenient and works. They think that they can keep the media at bay and keep the Democrats at bay for saying, you know, look, it's an all-white male field except for uh, Senator Marco Rubio. And they're trying to fight that. So they're like, you know, they did it with Herman Cain in 2012. It was convenient for them. But then when push came to shove, boy, I tell you, they tossed him overboard so fast. It was unbelievable. Because then it was no longer convenient because he became a distraction. As if Mrs. Bill Clinton with Benghazi, with the Secret Server, with the Clinton Foundation isn't a distraction. It's a huge distraction that's being avoided like the plague by the liberal mainstream media and the party elites within the Democrat Party. Bernie Sanders is a huge distraction. Bernie Sanders is a socialist. But he's convenient for the Democrats right now. He's at least giving their side some attention because Mrs. Bill Clinton is in hiding. But I get a kick out of how I'm hearing some Washington elites and some GOP insiders say that Donald Trump is going to hurt the brand. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Donald Trump is a brand. And he knows that. He doesn't care about the GOP brand. And the question I, when I heard that, I said, what brand? You mean the brand that gave us John McCain as the nominee against Barack Obama? This little known neophyte, freshman U.S. Senator, much like Marco Rubio. And I'm not knocking Rubio, but I'm, he has no business Rubio chiming in on it. He's a first-term U.S. Senator. And people like Governor Christie and, and a few others who have knocked Trump getting into the race. Well, you, you, you need some sort of uh, executive experience. I'm like, oh, Really? Jimmy Carter was a governor. He had executive experience too. But the fact that Carson and Fiorina add convenience is why they get a pass. These are some things you're never going to hear, hear discussed within these circles. But I'm going to bring them out because as soon as push comes to shove, they will dump Fiorina, they will dump Ben Carson, when it becomes politically expedient to do so. And this thing about Donald Trump hurting the brand, I said it was laughable. This brand couldn't defeat a damaged president after his first term in Barack Obama. His numbers in, in, in key indicators were the worst of any sitting president running for re-election. It had never been done before. A president had never gotten re-elected with his numbers on the economy and his approval rating, his favorability 
And yet Barack Obama was able to soundly win re-election. So what GOP brand are we talking about? The one that put up Mitt Romney? Let me tell you the difference between Mitt Romney and Donald Trump. Donald Trump made some comments relative to uh, uh, Mexican immigrants and illegal immigration. And it rubbed some people the wrong way. First of all, I know what Donald Trump meant by that. And you know what? Everybody else, too, anybody with a brain. Now, this is politics. It was one of those gotcha moments. Let's contort this. And let's say he was saying something that he really didn't say, but we can twist this into that and then beat him with it. And you know what Donald Trump told the media to do? He told the media to get bent. That's why I like Donald Trump. When Mitt Romney was hit with this 47% comment, he spent the remainder of his campaign trying to get out from under that. He came out with about six different interpretations of what he really meant. And it dogged him for his entire campaign once he got the nomination. Mitt Romney, being the nice guy that he is, didn't have the, I don't know, he didn't have it in him to tell the media to get bent. Because that's not what he said. It's not what he meant. Let's put it that way. It's what he said. He said there's 47% of the people aren't going to vote for me. Of course, there are 47%. Mrs. Bill Clinton starts out with 47%. The Republican nominee is not going to get that. And I'm not going to make up excuses for Mitt Romney and say, well, you know, he should have said. No, he said what he said. And that should have been his response when he was hit with it. I said what I said. I know what I said. I meant what I said. I'm going to concentrate on the 53% that are still out there. I need 51% of that 53 to become the next president of the United States. And then he should have just moved forward and let the media bring it up and let the media talk about it and let the Democrats Continue to beat him over the head, but no. So Donald Trump is not going to hurt any brand. And what I would finally like to see is just for once, the Republicans, and there's a difference, as you know, between Republicans and conservatives, the Republicans circle the wagons. Say, hey, wait a minute. It might not be the way I would have said it, but I know what he meant. No, I'm not going to ask him to condemn uh I'm not going to condemn him and ask him to take it back. You go ask Donald Trump about that. But they all feel a need to oh, they display their, their racial sensitivity. Oh, it's horrible. Oh, it's divisive. Well, I'm glad Donald Trump is in. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. The three branches of government that we've learned forever, right? The executive, the legislative, and the judicial, the three branches of government have now become the three departments of government. The legislative branch and the judicial branch all, and the executive branch all work on the same team as opposed to checking each other to protect our liberty. They now work in tandem to promote their agenda. Very different. Mike Slater. Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 
David Clark, the People's Sheriff. We're in the middle of a cultural rot in this country, one that the left likes to define as a cultural revolution, where deviancy is being defined down and where modern liberalism is being shoved down our throats. Modern liberalism is conduct without borders. And there's a lot of angst going on in this country from conservatives, people like you and me. We're a little confused as to how this thing happened. When did it start? What do we do to reverse it? And I came upon an article I want to walk you through that I think pinpoints with uncanny accuracy how the conservatives with a chance to really entrench a conservative mind view in this country through the courts, through our Congress, through our daily lives. And they missed it. They missed it. They capitulated, like oftentimes is the case. The Republican Party, not so much conservatives. Conservatives are fighters. The Republican Party capitulated to the left, trying to appease trying to work together, trying to bring people together, trying to reach across the aisle that I, every time I hear some Republican candidates say that I want to puke. I can bring people together. We need to work together. I can reach across the aisle. I'm not interested in reaching across the aisle. I'm not interested in working together with people who are trying to slit my throat. Robert Bork, one of the most brilliant legal minds in the history of this country. He wrote a book that I refer to a lot, Slouching Toward Gomorrah, how modern liberalism is um, putting America in decline. He predicted this. That book was written in 1993, I believe. He predicted in 1993 what we're going through today. And he also put several chapters in there how to def- how to defeat this thing and how to turn it back. When I came across this article, taken out of the Daily Signal, it's written by Betsy Hart of the Heritage Foundation. She's a writer for the Heritage Foundation. And it's entitled, How Robert Bork's America Gave Us Justice Kennedy's America. Let's walk through this. It starts, it would go down in history as Senator Robert Kennedy's Robert Bork's America speech. Judge Bork, a brilliant constitutional scholar, had been nominated by President Ronald Reagan to the United States Supreme Court, and Kennedy, the Massachusetts Democrat, that's Ted Kennedy, who chaired the Senate Judiciary Committee, was having none of it. Just minutes after Bork's nomination, in July of 1987, Kennedy took to the floor of the Senate to deliver his vitriol. There's what it says in part. Robert Bork's America is the land in which women would be forced into back alley abortions, black would sit at segregated lunch counters, rogue police would break down citizens' door in midnight raids, school children could not be taught about evolution, writers and artists could be censored at the whim of the government, and the doors of the federal court would be shut on the fingers of millions of citizens for whom the judiciary is and is often the only protector of the individual rights 
that at the heart of our democracy are at the heart of our democracy. President Reagan is still our president. This is Ted Kennedy speaking. But he should not be able to reach out from the muck of Iran gate, reach into the muck of Watergate, and impose his reactionary vision of the Constitution on the Supreme Court and the next generation of Americans. No justice would be better than this injustice. That's from Ted Kennedy on the floor of the Senate after the nomination of Robert Bork to become a justice on the Supreme Court. So Betsy Hart goes on to write, this attack endlessly endlessly repeated on national airwaves and in the press defined the narrative for the nomination. It went essentially unanswered by a stunned White House and led months later to Bork being defeated with six Republicans and almost all Democrats voting against him. Judge Anthony Kennedy of California instead would become the 107th Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. The rest, shall we say, is five to four history. Let me pause there for a moment. 1987. You know how I talked, and I talked earlier in this program about how the Republicans don't have any fight in them? Here was a perfect example. If we could have gotten Robert Bork, I remember that fight. If we could have gotten Robert Bork on the Supreme Court, we would have been a conservative nation for three plus decades. And instead they capitulated and went with Anthony Kennedy, who was the swing vote on the Supreme Court. And more times than not, if you look at the Obamacare vote and you look at the gay marriage vote and you look at some of the other five to four decisions in favor of the liberals on the, who currently sit on the United States Supreme Court, it's Kennedy, a Reagan appointee who oftentimes sides with the liberals. Back to the article. There's a lesson in this for conservatives today. I was just a Cub Communications staffer in the White House during this time, but one did not have to be a senior advisor to the president to know the White House by then was clearly divided along moderate and Reaganite lines with the moderates for the most part in the ascendancy and running the show. Don't believe they were all Reaganites now you hear from such Republicans today. Plenty of them, including many in the White House itself, never got over the Reagan usurping the Republican presidential nomination from George Bush in 1980. They thought he was too conservative, which led to lots of battles, which by 1987 were being won mostly by moderates. White House officials were unprepared for Senator Kennedy's assaults. Though they'd been warned by Democrats it would be a combative nomination, rather than fight for its nominee, the White House let the Democrats drive the narrative. Though outside conservative groups were actively working to help Bork, they couldn't overcome this deficit. I remember fellow Reaganites in the communications office and elsewhere in the White House being so frustrated and angry we weren't doing everything possible to respond to the Democrats' vitriol and win the battle. This stuff makes, editorial comment, this stuff makes me want to cry. And this is still what we get from this moderate Republican wing today that is dominating the, 
the GOP. Let's not kid ourselves. Back to the story. It just made no sense. Whether it was thinking Bork was too conservative or being too embarrassed to go to Washington dinner parties and talk about advancing the nomination or exhausting over the Iran-Contra affair, which we thought at the time could be as big as Watergate, many in the White House simply gave up. Reagan AIDS simply gave up. Back to the story. When it became clear Bork would be defeated, many White House staffers hoped he would resign his nomination and get off the national stage rather than force the Senate to vote on the record and put the White House through a public defeat. A man of incredible integrity, Bork would have none of it. He lost 58 to 42. That was in the filibuster. A man of incredible integrity. Back to the story. Ultimately, the result of the White House not taking the principal initiative in a winnable fight and instead letting fear and establishment politics take over is the presence of Justice Kennedy on the Supreme Court today. We'll come back with this. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio. Coming up today on Pat and Stu. Chlorine is not historically considered a chemical weapon. Remember that, first No, you use it in your pool. You do. Shut up. You do. You use it in your pool. Mm. How chemical can it be? (laughs) I mean, it's... And we found out it's not even what gives you red eyes when you go and uh, open your eyes underwater. Oh, really? What is it? Pee? What? Pee? Pat and Stu. Weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. I'm reading from an article by Betsy Hart of the Heritage Foundation on uh, her experience in the Reagan White House at the time on the uh, nomination of Robert Bork to be a justice on the Supreme Court and how it went up in flames because the moderates in the Reagan administration, not Reagan himself, but in the Reagan administration, uh, just didn't have the will to fight for this nomination, to take on the Democrats, to take on Ted Kennedy, who was the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee at the time, and why we have the court that we have today, because Justice Anthony Kennedy was the replacement nomination, the one that the Democrats could live with. No wonder they could live with him. Look at his decisions. He's often on the liberal side of the United States Supreme Court in 5-4 decisions. He's the swing vote. No wonder they could stomach him. Let's get back to this article here. No one at the time thought backing down from fighting for Bork would lead to the calamity that Justice Kennedy has been in countless narrow decisions over the years, most recently last week. But the White House inaction on the Bork nomination changed America. Some Reaganites argued at the time that we should keep serving up one Supreme Court nominee after another, each more conservative than the one before until one got through. Great idea. Pause there for a second. That's fighting. When I say torches and pitchforks, when I say a revolution, this is what I'm talking about. Last week I talked about how we need to fight back 
This is what I'm talking about. So that prospect did come up at the time. Back to the story. Instead, a detour through one other candidate, Douglas Ginsburg, who withdrew his nomination when previous marijuana use was discovered. The White House rewarded Edward Kennedy and the Democrats for their horrific attacks with a little-known Anthony Kennedy. He sailed through the nomination process and was confirmed 97 to nothing. Betsy Hart goes on to write, I remember watching these events unfold around me and being so disillusioned. But of course, I never dreamed of the ramifications. Decades later, I believe, there's important and even redemptive encouragement in this history for conservatives in today's turbulent and unsettling times. Remember what the Reagan White House didn't do for Robert Bork and consider that we conservatives can never know when giving up or not fully fighting even one necessary battle will have huge unforeseen and destructive consequences for America later. That's profound. Back to the story. Decades hence, I am hopeful the young conservatives of today will instead look back on these challenging times we are in and be able to say to those on the front lines now, quote, America is well because they fought well. It's the fight that I'm always talking about that we refuse to have. And, and, you know, she mentions here that young conservatives, part of the problem with this GOP establishment conservative uh, uh, establishment uh, uh, party right now is you don't have any fighters. They won't get off the stage and let the young conservatives, the fighters. This is a GOP establishment that shunned the Tea Party, that pushed them out of the way, helped the left destroy their momentum. We're willing partners in that. It's just incredible. With this party, and I talked earlier in the program when the GOP says that Donald Trump is hurting the brand. And I asked, well, what brand? The brand of capitulation? The brand of the white flag? Defeat? Give up? That brand? So instead of Robert Bork for maybe 25 to 30 years on the Supreme Court, we end up with Anthony Kennedy. And we look at this thing, we look at these decisions, we look at the Obamacare decision. These are just two of the recent ones, but these obliterated the Constitution. Totally. They didn't even masquerade it. Look at the dissent opinions from Alito, from Scalia, and from Clarence Thomas. And even in the gay marriage one from now swing vote, the justice, uh, the, the United States Supreme Court Justice Roberts. This is what we get. This is what we're stuck with now. This is what we have. So what are we going to do? That was a missed opportunity, but there'll be other opportunities. And when they're there, we have to be ready to bring the fight to the left. Stop capitulating. Stop with the self-pity. Stop with the defeatist mindset. Well, it's over. America will never be the same. 
We have to fight. Do we have the will to do that? GOP establishment, like I said, put up John McCain. And then they gave us Mitt Romney. Who are they going to give us for 2016? I have a problem with the way this selection process goes on anyway. But this is what we got. But I thought that piece by Betsy Hart was profound. Because like I said, she pinpointed that moment in time where this whole thing could have been different for the next three decades. And the right didn't have a fight. Okay, in the remaining time that we have, I want to talk about an issue very important to me. You may have heard me talk about this previous segments, maybe on Twitter. By the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Sheriff Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E, and you can also follow me at thepeoplesheriff.com during the week. There's a woman sitting over in Cuba right now. And the reason that I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this back to the forefront because now we apparently are restoring, uh, uh, normalizing relations with Cuba. They're going to open an embassy, raise the U.S. flag. Well, they're holding a cop killer. And they have been since about 1984. Asada Shakur. It's that name into your lexicon, etch that name into your vocabulary and raise it everywhere you go because I'm on a new mission right now to get that cop killer back to the United States to serve her life sentence for gunning down one of New Jersey's finest state trooper, Werner Forrester, in a very violent and vicious way where she pumped a couple of rounds into his head as he lay wounded on the street, the New Jersey turnpike, with his own she used his own firearm because hers jammed up. She was convicted for killing War, uh, Trooper Warner Forrester and sentenced to life in prison. And she escaped. It was a very, uh, it was an unbelievable escape. Two armed men came in. They took corrections officers hostage. Got her out. We didn't see the manhunt back then like uh, we saw for these two clowns that uh, escaped from uh, upstate New York. Well, she eventually fled to Cuba. She's living in that exile. And I want her back. And I want you to help me put pressure on the State Department to demand the return of Asada Shakur, a black nationalist, a separatist, a hater, a racist, a black racist, to serve out her sentence. That would be justice for Warner Forrester and his survivors. I need you to call your senator, senators and congressmen, and tell them, put the pressure on the State Department, John Kerry, and the White House. She's on the FBI's uh, top 10 most wanted terrorists, by the way. $2 million reward for her capture. We need to get her back. That's all the time we have today. Thanks for being here. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.